Hello, thank you for joining us. It's another weekly episode of Friendly Reminder. It's your friendly reminder of what's going on around the world, in our lives, and everything in between. My name is Gus, and I'll be your host. And as always, I have my two dear friends joining me today. Sam, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Gus. Good to hear. Thank you for being here. And Daniel, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Gus? Uh, I'm doing well, all things considered. It's snowing today. It's snowing in Texas. Uh, The world is crazy. The world is dangerous. And you could say it got a little bit more dangerous this week. (laughs) Um, We're going to start with our first topic, guys. Uh, Maybe our only topic, who knows? Uh, But we're going to talk about the impeachment trial of former president, 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, the first president to get impeached twice. Uh, and also, I guess, by definition, the first president to get acquitted twice, because just yesterday, the Senate did finalize their vote on the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump. He was acquitted by the Senate. 57 senators voted guilty. Um, seven Republican uh, senators all you know, joined the Democrats uh, to, to vote guilty. But the vast majority, 43 Republicans, I believe, voted not guilty. Uh, therefore, there were not enough votes. They needed 67 votes, not guilty, or I'm sorry, guilty votes. They got 57. So they're 10 short. So Donald Trump is acquitted. He, you know, uh, will obviously be able to run again in 2024. We'll talk about all the ramifications regarding that. But Daniel, you know, I think you've been following this impeachment trial fairly close since the beginning. So I'm going to let you um, kind of take the reins here and kind of guide us through this this trial from the beginning to the end. Um, tell us what went right, what went wrong, how the prosecution, the House managers did, and how the, the Donald Trump defense team did. Sure. Yeah. So, so just to contextualize this whole thing, um, I think it's important to say at the outset that there's not really (laughs) there's not really doubt as to trump's guilt um so republicans largely kind of had to hang their hat on a bunch of sort of technical things to say that this wasn't um so any anybody who who sort of was paying attention um to the events leading up to one six you know uh trump spreading the lie trump as the president spreading the very obvious lie before the election during the election after the election that it was going to be stolen from him and then that it was stolen from him just just always a lie um spread by republicans spread by the conservative echo sphere uh leading up to one six when trump was you know all the time the whole time trump putting enormous pressure on elected officials to to basically overturn the election on based on conspiracy theories um you know the lead up to the incident and i thought that uh in the lead up to the incident trump you know promoted and provoked violence and and then eventually on on january 6th let let them loose um on congress and the vice president um i don't think there's any sort of so so just backing up a little bit in my opinion, it's not reasonable to sort of doubt Trump's guilt in that overarching sense. Um, so really this, while watching this, it really becomes about 
what uh you know you put yourself in the minds of those republicans that are sort of in the middle that could be swayed by this and you got to imagine um that they are sitting there squirming because it's it's sort of inassailable what happened um right uh, so just to back this up, uh, the way the impeachment work works is that uh, Nancy Pelosi picks uh, certain House members to run the impeachment. In this case, she picked a team of um, brilliant Democratic legislators, and uh, one was was technically not a legislature because she's the rep from the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, but it was uh, Diane Deguette from Colorado, David Cicilline from Rhode Island, Joaquin Castro from Texas, Eric Swalwell from California, Ted Lieu from California, and again, Stacey Plaskett from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, there was also the head of the House managers was Jamie Raskin, uh, who is a newer uh, congressman, and he uh, was a const constitutional law professor, and that really sort of shined throughout the proceeding the way he was able to sort of frame it all and the other standout is uh joe nagoose who is the youngest um, and first black member from colorado um i thought he did an amazing job and i think he has a has the makings of a superstar um the presentation that the house managers put on was was very very compelling and they you know part of it was just that they had a lot of material to work with <laughs> But they they put together, um, just just chronologically laid out everything that happened in in pretty stark stark terms. Uh, you know, Trump, well ahead of the election, uh, basically previewing what he was going to do, <laughs> basically saying, "Hey, you know, I'm going to declare victory, and all these votes that come in, all these mail-in votes, they're fraudulent. Republicans purposefully not changing." Um, the laws in order to make it easier for them to portray it this way. Um, it was just very stark, uh, the things that they were able to lay out with video, with Trump's own words often, including tweets and, and just things he said. Um, lay it out, um, including um, you know some of the most terrible things, some of the stuff that I didn't even quite know about, which is you know Trump retweeting people who said, a uh, tweet that said the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat or a video of somebody saying that and saying like, thank you or something. And then uh, yeah. retweeting, retweeting. I knew that he retweeted. So there was an incident between Trump supporters. You know, there was escalating violence uh, and escalating intimidation uh, throughout the summer in these anti-lockdown protests. Uh, many of much of it provoked by Trump doing things like tweeting "liberate Michigan" and, and things like that. But at a certain point, the the tour the Joe Biden campaign was basically uh, attacked by vehicles that that drove you know by Trump vehicles that drove certain of the of the vehicles off the road and 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 tried to drive them off the road. And uh, Trump retweeted a video of it and said. Yay, or he said something about like I love Texas or something. Um, yeah, promoting and Marco Rubio that. too. He said that he loved to see what like what happened there. Yeah, um, full support for violence. Yeah, I thought the House managers did a did a decent job, sort of avoiding implicating the senators who were the jurors. 
in front of them. They left most of that out, which strategically is smart because, hey, if you're trying to convince uh, and we could talk about how the, how much of these how many of these votes were really up for grabs. But if you're actually trying to convince people that Trump did something crazy, you probably don't want to implicate the people that were sort of uh, involved in it that that are the jurors themselves. Although that does create kind of a harder case to bring, obviously. Um, but the House managers did an excellent job tying um, all this material together in in a very compelling package leading up to uh, January 6th, where um, Trump gave his speech, told his supporters to go to the Capitol, and basically, you know, even with all this knowledge beforehand, let them loose on the Capitol, uh, while also <laughs> bashing Mike Pence for not doing something totally illegal, overturning the election in his favor. Um, the House managers pointed out that uh, they brought up uh, Tommy Tuberville. Uh, talking about how he was talking to Trump um, about how the vice president had just been evacuated from the Senate chamber and that he was about to be evacuated and, you know, obviously making very clear to Trump that they were in danger. And uh, 10 minutes later, Trump tweeted something about uh, vi about how Pence had failed him. <laughs> so <laughs> the yeah. timeline is sort of <laughs> just, just very stark. Like, and um you know the the there was there was also they very persuasively argued that everybody implicitly knew this was Trump's fault because Republicans and Democrats all were calling <laughs> Trump and or, and making demands publicly on the media and begging him to intervene and privately begging him to intervene personally and you know trying to call him um including Kevin McCarthy who finally got through to Trump and said, um, was telling him about the mob. And then Trump said something along the lines of, well, I guess those people really care about the election, Kevin. This is as a mob, it's yeah. like, like bashing down the doors to come rip them limbs from limb. This is what Trump says. I believe specifically, um, he specifically said, well, it sounds like they care more about the election than you do, Kevin. Uh, and to which Kevin McCarthy replied, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? <laughs> Allegedly. Which is an amazing... Yes, it's a, it is alleged. It is a, a conveyed from a, another person. Kevin McCarthy did not uh, come and convey this information. Um, so they were able to tie this all together. And there's also the, the very obvious question about... You know, we saw all this happen in real time. Um, and at the same time, obviously, Trump literally didn't do... Uh, I'm not going to say literally because there may have been a tweet or that video might have come out in the meantime, the video where he called everybody lovely and, you know, this day will never be forgotten in history, but he didn't do anything to, to save anybody. So the idea that like, okay, okay. So Trump is totally innocent. He's totally innocent. This was like, oh, these crazy, crazy people went off on their own and did this. What did Trump do to stop this? <laughs> Nobody has been able to say exactly what he did to stop this. The best they could do is say, well, he he tweeted like one thing that was like <laughs> basically kind of in support of the group, but kind of telling them to be peaceful. But no, no one could say that he actually did anything, which is, you know, 
I don't not to put too fine a point on it, but if he's the friggin' president and there's a terrorist attack going on, you think that he would have some duty at some level, but no, not not even not even at any level brought up by you know, it was brought up by the house managers that there was nothing. But um so the defense team yeah. um Trump these two attorneys who basically had they didn't have a difficult job per se. All they really had to do is give enough for Republican senators to hang their hat on, which at this point is very, very little, right? Yeah, that it could have been. Anything it could have been anything. With, with it could have been anything. A lot of these votes, let's be clear, were predetermined. Like there was, and there's going to be a. We're going to get into a discussion of witnesses and and uh, whether Democrats should have brought in witnesses, but. We have to be honest about the fact that there's a lot of these votes that were just set. You could have brought in as many witnesses as you wanted to, provided more evidence if you wanted to. This is um, a very obvious case to make, and I think there were a lot of senators that knew exactly what happened, but they were going to vote in favor of of not guilty out of political reasons. It's it's one of the issues of these impeachment trials um, that these are set votes that aren't going to change no matter what the prosecution or the defense brings in. So just historically speaking, this is the first impeachment to ever get. Uh, well, actually, that's not true because Mitt Romney voted to convict Trump the first time. <laughs> so that was the first impeachment where a Republican voted to convict a Republican. And this is the first impeachment where, what was it, seven or eight Republicans voted to convict a Republican? It's never happened before. So quite, quite amazing. Yeah. Daniel? Yes. I want to go back to what something you said earlier, how... When when the riot was going on, or the terrorist attack, or whatever we should call it, goes go, is was going on, and you said Trump did nothing; he barely reacted at all or to to stopping it. I mean, we've known this guy for four years. He's the he's the president that does nothing. He does nothing. I mean, why? I I would never expect him. To, I mean, I would hope, but. It's far past that point. So House managers made a really good point, which is to say when Trump actually wants to stop something, he's very clear about stopping it. So they brought in all his stop the steal stuff, which is like, yeah, he'd scream stop the steal at the top of his lungs and rant about how it was, you know, during the election, he wanted to stop the count because he was like, I was ahead until they started counting all the votes against me. (laughs) So he was trying to get them to stop the steal. So they pointed out like Trump, does not mince words when he wants people to stop doing something. What we saw on one six was at best a bunch of mincing of words and at worst, very, very obvious winking and nodding where you're saying these are the things that happened to this great nation when a a landslide election is stolen. Um, So I think that they had, they had plenty of evidence of dereliction of duty, but I think that same evidence goes very strongly to intent on the on the part of Trump at doing this, uh, because you know, if he sent them to do what they did, then why would he stop them? And he did not act to stop them. So it was very very compelling um, evidence that was put on. Um, the, there's a separate issue that can kind of act as a heuristic as to how many people would actually vote to how many votes were actually in play and that's the threshold issue which is to say trump is not president anymore so can a the senate try a president who's not currently president who was impeached while he was president for acts that he did while he was president 
um you know most of the legal authority said yes uh the the oral argument on this point was actually actively hilarious this is where i, I thought trump's lawyers were actively trying to just you know go up there and say whatever as a power play because they knew they were going to win this thing because they were throughout the constitutional in that part of the argument they were like they spent time talking about how great the senate was and how honorable the senate was and how great how they knew senator so and so and how great they were and how this person was great and it was just the most it wasn't anything resembling like a legal argument it was basically them just complimenting the senators about how how uh um wise they were it it was a it was a it was a laugh but but you know all the republicans except for i believe collins murkowski romney sass and toomey and one of the surprise ones was uh cassidy from louisiana uh all the republicans but those voted to say basically we're acquitting him on this procedural point saying he's not the president anymore so he can't be convicted basically writing a january exception into the constitution saying if you do something in january you cannot really be impeached for it because it is impossible yeah. to move fast enough to impeach someone in january um i, I do want to add, add to that point um also something to keep in mind because uh mitch mcconnell gave a statement after the vote basically saying yeah trump is guilty oh, like he definitely did this. i actually wanted to play it because he's some he it was masterful he said he is practically and morally responsible he went through the evidence the succinctly put the evidence out there and then said but i'm not gonna vote to it, it was it was masterful that he just laid it out that he was guilty of sin and then said, and I am a coward, and I'm not. He didn't actually say that, but yeah. basically he said, well, I'm a coward, and I'm not going to vote to convict him on this very, very narrow January exception. Yeah, and not only that, though, but it was Mitch McConnell that delayed the process uh, where they couldn't actually have the impeachment trial in the Senate until Donald Trump was out of office. So not only is he using this excuse, it's a, an excuse that he himself created on purpose. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it was just it's, I mean, I, it's it's a very Mitch McConnell thing to do. It is, I it suppose. is the snake. It is the most. He he is a two-faced snake, and he is the best at it. It's like they're yeah. trying to make it so that people will not remember him for remember Trump for what he did. It's like what when people say the prequels don't exist. Um, they're trying to do that with Trump so that he can run again. Yeah, Donald Trump is definitely the attack of the clones of the U.S. history. <laughs> I don't think I think I feel like Mitch McConnell is trying to have his cake and eat it too. He's like, no, we need QAnon, but also we need the educated, wealthy people in the suburbs. So please, both of those people still vote for us. <laughs> yeah, somehow keep that coalition together. Yeah. <laughs> um. So just just to just to close up you know just a summary of the of everything so we can discuss it more elaborately um you know the the house managers made their case the trump lawyers went on and i'm you know look they made a couple of good good arguments that is to say their arguments they pointed out that um some of the way one of two one or two of the ways that the house managers clipped 
some of the clips was misleading. And I agree with that. And they made that point and then absolutely undermined themselves by presenting about doing this 20 minutes of video of just every single person completely out of context saying yes doing the exact same thing um also the way they attacked some of the evidence didn't was really dumb like it didn't make any sense it was basically conspiracy theorizing they basically said okay look they said oh look at this uh look at this picture of um they pointed to one of the house managers pictured in the New York Times looking at a tweet um, of Trump's. And they're like, look at the date on the tweet. It's wrong, which proves that they edited it. But the tweet that actually ended up in the presentation had the right date on it. They were pointed, all they were pointing out is that the, the actual tweets that were displayed weren't necessarily just screenshots of tweets. Because sometimes when you make presentations, you make recreations, you know? So this is a recreation. Yeah. And that somebody had checked the date and corrected it before it got into the presentation. And they were pointing to the New York Times being like, look, the date's wrong. They fabricated the evidence when the actual evidence was not. It was actually mind boggling why they would put that in there. I'm like, yeah, you make a list of arguments. You make some of them. Don't make the arguments that are just laughable on their face. Like, why would you do that? It makes the rest of your arguments seem bad (laughs) by comparison. Um, there's also another very stupid argument they made, um, which I was, this was another one where I was like, dude, did nobody, did you t- talk this over with no one? Because this is the dumbest argument I've ever heard. They pointed out that when Trump had retweeted somebody saying that the cavalry was coming, they pointed out that they misspelled cavalry. And what they actually meant was Calvary, the hill where Jesus was <laughs> was killed like the actual name of the hill where jesus was killed. what and they said that what they meant what they actually meant both this lady and trump meant was that they were bringing like a cross or something a christian symbol and that's what they meant by the cavalry was coming and i was and all i could think was like how could you how could you be dumb enough to make this profoundly dishonest of an argument that trump and this lady are both talking about when they say that the Calvary, they misspelled Calvary, they really mean that the Jesus, like the crosses are coming. Uh, nobody says that. It doesn't make any sense in that context. It's really dishonest. And I don't know why they made that argument. And it, it you know, you, you know, sometimes you get, when you're, when you're putting together this stuff, you drink your own Kool-Aid and so, but you got to run this by someone else, and, and yeah. yeah, before you make just the dumbest arguments in public on TV. Um, they also just made blatant lies too. I mean, oh no, there were a lot of lies. One of yeah. the main lawyers just basically said, like, if the Democrats uh, wanted to impeach him while while in office, they could have, uh, and they chose not to, which is just blatantly false. They were trying to to impeach him while he was in. Well, they did impeach him while he was in office, and they were trying to get the trial also started while he was in office. But I, as I mentioned, Mitch McConnell was uh, the majority leader at the time, and and delayed that until until the twentieth. So that's just a blatant lie that they just uh, put out there as their defense. It is a lie. They also they also you know completely contradicted themselves by arguing one that this happened too fast. It was a snap impeachment was their phrase. It happened too quickly, but also it happened 
too slowly because <laughs> they're they're basically saying we this needs to be investigated for months and months before you can actually try this guy. But also, you can't really try him when he's not president anymore. Uh, extending their January exception basically back into like June, you can break the start break the law starting in June because due process requires you to run a months long investigation in order to, to it was it was dumb basically that there that was their argument but um so i'm not going to say all of their arguments were, were this dumb they they you know they made an argument about free speech and uh, look i i don't know enough about incitement to to know whether they to know whether trump was legally liable as an insider but i can say that i know enough about what happened <laughs> To know that we need to prevent that kind of thing, that exact thing, from happening again. We need to prevent a Democrat from saying the election was rigged. From, I mean, the next Democrat could do could say, well, yeah, Russia stole it. Yeah, Russia stole it. So, you know, I'm going to send in Antifa to disrupt this and then do Mark. Uh, yeah. What that thing that happened should not happen again. And the only way to prevent that was to convict trump that they they have guaranteed that that same thing is going to happen again and again and again like not it is not even a question in my mind that that's going to happen again but based on how they voted um yeah it's it's like gun violence you know like it happens once and nobody does anything about it it's just gonna keep happening which is terribly sad. If if everything is just words and it's just um, statements and there's no actual action taken, um, just like gun violence, as you mentioned, you're not there's there are there is no institution and there is no law that's preventing this from happening again. If anything, there's there's encouragement to to allow it to happen again because now uh, we know that a president could do so, and based on partisanship he's going to get away with it which is a fundamentally dangerous thing to to allow. i'll say one last thing about the about trump's lawyers and then we can maybe maybe it'll cue us into or segue into us a discussion of witnesses which i think we can talk about whether that was a whether it was a strategic error or not to ultimately call any witnesses but um so there was a question and answer session and most of the questions and answers were honestly pretty silly uh they were very directed at like okay we're gonna give give the our side a chance to push their points again that we think are convincing uh, but one of the most pointed questions was from murkowski and collins the two republicans who um, ultimately ended up two of the republicans who ultimately ended up to convict trump uh they sent a very very pointed question saying um, basically, exactly when did Trump learn about the breach of the Capitol and what specific actions did he do to bring it to an end? Which <laughs> is, is, you know, uh, you know, I, we give a lot of crap to Murkowski and Collins, but what a, what a succinct way of summarizing this entire thing. That answer to that question yeah. gives you everything you need to know. Or the, so Trump's lawyers got up there and said, Basically, we don't know because the house managers didn't tell us what happened. 
which is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Unbelievable. <laughs> because it suggests that they either did not talk to their client or either they didn't. Oh, look, it's it's Trump. There's a chance they've never actually met him before, but I think they probably talked to him. There's either either they just never asked him, uh, which is to say they probably knew what the answer was and they probably knew it was bad <laughs> and they didn't want to know, or they knew the answer and they just lied um, and said, well, you know, look, if you're if you're in court and the judge asks you, what was your or, or anyone? You know, what was your client doing during the commission of the crime? And the defense attorney gets up and says, uh, Judge, uh, I don't know. We should ask the prosecutor. <laughs> I That's probably <laughs> a losing case right there. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. I don't know if they'd never considered it or if they just I, I don't know why they had no answer for that. It came up a few other points. It came up at a few other points. And that leads us into the question of, you know, should they have called witnesses to testify as to what Trump was doing or not? You know, there are media reports that Trump was gleeful about what was going on and was very, um, and was not, and was kind of like, why isn't everybody as excited about this? as as i am um so the the question yeah. of so i don't know if you you want to guess you want to talk about because there was a there was the mccarthy quote we brought up earlier which brought was brought up by the house impeachment managers but it was brought up um at the end in in this vote and 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 some people say that the reason strategically the reason they brought the vote to bring witnesses in was in order to get this statement into the into into the record right um which is mm -hmm. the kevin mccarthy call which is just an amazing um an amazing you know thing uh they were going to call jamie herrera the republican congressman who who has made very clear that this is what happened on that call uh and has you know spread this wide and said and told everybody that this is what happened um, but they ended up not calling her because apparently Republicans said, oh, we'll call hundreds of witnesses to say all kinds of bad stuff about Democrats, which I don't, you, you know, guess maybe you know about this. I don't really understand why that threat was serious, because I believe each witness is. I mean, they get an up and down vote on each witness, so Democrats could say, no, we get four witnesses and Republicans get four witnesses. You can't just string this out for months and months like why can't. Why couldn't they reach a conclusion? Like I, I know. Well, go ahead. Uh, well, I'm going to try to explain the whole situation as as carefully as I can because yes, they they the Senate did vote on a motion to allow witnesses. Um, the idea was that one of the witnesses was going to be um, uh, Representative Herrera, um, and she she was going to testify via Zoom call, but. It looks like the main issue was in terms of setting a schedule for uh, for witnesses. In order to actually set a schedule, you do need to cross that 60-vote um, supermajority threshold. So what that meant is that they needed to get at least some Republicans on board with it. Um, and it looks like the issue was that enough Republicans uh, would have essentially dragged this out for, for a long time, uh, which 
this is where the the house managers backed off. Uh, what I'm not particularly certain of uh, strategically is if they knew this, why did we have that initial vote in the first place? Because I believe in when this happened, in terms of optics or in, in terms of the way it played out, uh, it looks like they were in favor of witnesses and then they they immediately backed away from it, which I really think was not a particularly great look for what otherwise seemed like a pretty strong um presentation from from the house managers again it's it it sounds like it was senate democratic senate leadership that essentially went to the house managers and said we can't really do otherwise it's going to be delayed forever and because of that it would basically um hinder us from passing covid uh, the covid relief bill although in a reasonable manner although i saw that the senate is taking it is it true that they're taking a week off now because <laughs> if that's yeah, they're going on recess. Uh, yeah, they're they're off for a week. So which I don't even want to hear that. Oh, they're going back to their constituents, so they're still doing work. Like that just looks terrible. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't really. Okay, I don't. I look. There are uh, my church, or not my church, but the, I've been to Universalist Unitarian Universalist Church for most of my childhood, and through some of my adult years, and. Democratic Party is a lot like the UU, where they they do they do some good, but most of the time it's like ninety percent talking and only ten percent of actually doing stuff. And that's what the Democrats are doing. They just they when the Republicans want to get something done, they fucking do it. And Democrats just don't don't have the I don't know what it will be the will maybe. You know, to actually not be afraid of getting something done. They think everything they do will harm them. That's a good point. Yeah, I think that's kind of the main criticism about the Democratic Party. That it's, and even from a leftist perspective, it's it's not obviously leftists disagree with the mainstream Democratic Party in a lot of things, uh, but it's also just their will, as you mentioned, or their their ability to actually get things done. And in this case, their inability to to bring in witnesses that I think people were crying for and and, and asking for um, since the beginning of the trial because. It's a trial. You know, you, you want to have as much evidence presented uh, on both sides, both the prosecution and the defense. And in this case, obviously, everything is against the prosecution. So you need to bring in as much evidence as possible. So I think the criticism is fair, but I also think COVID relief is very important right now and it does need to pass. But I'm, again, I'm not exactly sure. The only thing I know is that it looks like what stood in the way was getting those 60 votes to schedule the witnesses and the Republicans were going, in order to get those votes, you needed to meet some of those Republican demands and that was going to delay the process. But I still think it ends up looking terrible either way. So strategically, look, there's a lot of considerations that go into whether you're going to call a witness. You can't just say, well, no, we got to do all of it. We got to do everything. Because then, honestly... If you go on too long, that can start to damage your case. Holes can start to appear and start yeah. to appear and look wider and wider and wider as things go on. Especially, you're not 100% sure what the witnesses are going to say because, well, look, I mean, strategically, they should have been preparing witnesses all along, but we could put that aside. Uh, the, there's, there is a question as to, 
you know, if you can get these sort of statements in that that maybe don't make your case, but sort of g- give it like, you know, give it a little zing, like the Herrera te- statement and uh, the Tommy Tuberville call. Um, and on the flip side, you really have to start asking yourself, Democrats got all the votes that they could have gotten. They got everybody. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, it's a counterfactual, who knows, but they got all the votes that were seemingly in play, plus Burr, who I don't think was in, in play, and uh, Cassidy from Louisiana, who is completely out of left field. Nobody saw that vote. And, and he was very plain about why he convicted. Well, I mean, to be honest, it's probably because he just got reelected. But <laughs> but he, he was yeah. he was just like, well, he he was like, uh, Donald Trump did it. <laughs> and it's sort of and he was just yeah. like, it's sort of hard to uh, he's like, you know, this is uh, the Constitution is bigger than one man. And, you know, all of these Republicans got bashed by their state parties and reprimanded immediately after voting to convict Trump, because, of course, it's yeah. Trump's party. Cassidy got censured by the Louisiana exactly. Republican but party. But the point being, you know, strategically, if they had called in witnesses, do you think they could have? Fl- it's hard to say. Could they have flipped more votes? Maybe not. Could they have weakened their case and lost some of the Republicans? It's possible. I don't think, no matter what would have happened with the witnesses, I think Trump would have still been acquitted, just because Republicans are mostly, I don't, I, I hate demeaning people like this, but they're, they're, they're kind of gutsy in one way and gutless in another way. You know, yeah. when they have power, they, they, they do their shit and they get it done fast. But at the same time, they don't want to. When they fuck up, they'll never admit that they fucked up. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've ended two Republican administrations with a total fuck show. Like everything is in ruins. And exactly. they're like, well, you know, let's give the Democrats two months to fix it. And if not, yeah, we're back on board, baby. <laughs> like give us the keys to the kingdom again. I mean, that's the Republican Party. They fucked us over twice and people still vote for them. So why wouldn't they? Exactly. So the so there is a question, you know, on the one hand, I do think Democrats are risk averse in a lot of ways. They shouldn't be. There was probably some laziness, some, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that there was there was nefarious motives on the Democrats part, but, you know, not that not the most tried and true motives. <laughs> Uh, but but at the same time, I think there are strategic, real, real strategic considerations at play. Maybe, you know, maybe you can go back and say you disagree with the way they frame their case. I thought it was very compelling. Maybe they could maybe they could have grabbed one or two more votes if they really got down. And, and you know, I did see a, a clip that said that none of the none of the people around Trump were willing to testify. And Trump himself obviously was not willing to testify as to anything. So they may have not been able to establish exactly what Trump was doing. Or, you know, they may have gotten some testimony adverse to their um, their case and, and made it worse or, or let, you know, Republicans hang their hat on some, you know, Trump, Trump uh, wrote a tweet that was like, be peaceful, exclamation mark, and then didn't send it and hit it in drafts or something and that comes out and that's the 
thing that blows up the whole case and <laughs> and every you know not 15 republicans hang their hat on it and who, who knows so you never you got to be careful about that kind of thing strategically when you're running one of these things but um in the end of the day do i wish they had called i think jamie herrera how does kevin mccarthy not testify after jamie herrera testifies He's, yeah. He basically admits it happened, and it is damning for Trump. He's basically saying, while the mob was bashing down my door, Trump was basically saying, yeah, I'm glad you're intimidated by the mob I sent to, <laughs> to intimidate you. It's it's incredibly incriminating. So I, I'm leaning towards the idea that Democrats should have at least gotten Herrera and, and you know, given Republicans, whatever, four, four witnesses or whatever. and. So I, I I actually didn't finish my point, um, but I I just got caught up in the in the moment. But even making a stand against something so horrendous as to what happened on January sixth, making a stand and saying we're not going to let this happen again, even trying to do that, and then just falling short, it's just. People will be will not want to vote for the Democrats anymore just because that's a damn good point. Why put this case on? Why why do the damn thing if you're not gonna just push it and take it to the yeah. Mac to, you know, I'm speaking in cliches now, but you know what I mean. You know, if you have an eye towards history anyway, because you know that acquittal is kind of a foregone conclusion, why not just put all get get it all out there? I think maybe Exactly. Yeah. I think Part of it was this COVID relief belt thing. Part of it was probably the idea that this wasn't the last chance that this was going to get. There's probably going to be some kind of committee that's going to investigate this further um, in a more, you yeah. know, uh, methodical way, probably over the course of a year or whatever, and then issue a report. Well, why not let it happen on national television? Well, because it would that type of investigation what yeah they could have done that they could have done that and they could have rough run roughshod with their 51 votes over all of the requirement that they not do covid relief at the same time as that and maybe that's ultimately what they should have done but i think they picked well getting done with this and then moving on to things that i guess they decided bread and butter table issues that bread and butter table that that's i don't think that's the phrase that i meant uh kitchen table issues bread and butter mean potatoes mean potatoes bread and butter <laughs> tables made out of bread Delicious. tables made out of meat and potatoes you know what i mean people people definitely need help yeah yeah i mean i i think there is i can understand the urgency about with the covid relief because it, it's it, it's we need this immediately, right? It's really not something that we can afford delaying it a month, two months, three months. Um, with that said, I, I better get my Biden bucks like tomorrow if, if we had to stop this. I mean, here's here's my main criticism about not calling witnesses, and it's really twofold. I, I don't believe it would have gotten any more votes from Republicans. I really think that seven was the, the threshold. There's a good um, tweet that I saw the other day. I, I, it was some kind of senator off the record that said, like, oh, you know, like the, the House Democrats made a really compelling case, uh, but at best they'll get six Republicans. And I, 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 I just like that line. At best, I'll, they'll get six Republicans because to me, that's the, that's been the best argument to just get rid of the filibuster because that's just going to be true forever. Um, but 
I do think we need to have these witnesses on the record, if not for history's sake, for the American people's sake, to know the truth and not not just to know it, but to get it from the horse's mouth, right? Like to get it from McCarthy, um, to get it from the senators uh, or House members that were there uh, and and felt like they were that close to dying because that's that's horrific and we need to hear the we need to hear this from them. But the other criticism is I also felt like this vote to bring in witnesses and then not have witnesses basically put a stain on this argument that otherwise the House Democrats looks like, even if they weren't going to get the necessary votes, because that was always baked in, at the very least, it looked like they were having an almost flawless week until this, where now I feel like the media is going to be like, we'll see both sides. Like on one side, the Republicans don't want to do it for partisan reasons. And now the Democrats don't want to do it out of policy reasons. And that's a lousy thing, (laughs) you know, after all this. Or even worse. It's almost self-defeatism. People draw the adverse inference and think, well, why don't they want the witnesses to say, because maybe the witnesses will contradict what they've said so far or something. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's almost like they shouldn't have done it. there, There are some rumors going around that they did it in order to introduce the Herrera statement because it came out so late. And they wanted the senators to hear it, even if they didn't hear Herrera. So they introduced it. But then why did they win the vote? Like, that's what's confusing about it is why, why didn't they just, you know, talk to their, well, I guess they probably, yeah, they're probably very ethical. They didn't want to, (laughs) didn't actually want to game it so that they can, uh, so that the senators, you know, well, does the Senate, I actually don't know. Does the Senate vote on like what witnesses hurt they i guess so yeah they did they voted to hear witnesses yeah. yeah i don't know it made the whole thing seem made it very seem very conniving and painted them with that that brush that sucks because i thought they did an excellent case trying their case very much on the publicly known facts about what was observed that day by everybody so um you know and video which is inassailable so uh i thought they did a great job and yeah this does it does sort of taint the process i do think after the first week i feel like they would have been very open to the attack that they're dragging this out and doing it instead of helping the american people which republicans were obviously making that was literally one of (laughs) this isn't even a legal argument it's not even an impeachment argument but trump's lawyers got up there and said they made an argument about how this is not unifying the country which made me want to rip my hair out because they were actually making a unity argument and it didn't even make sense. It's not a legal argument. It's not an impeachment argument. It's just saying the impeachment isn't unifying the country. And, and uh, second, they said that um, they said that, well, it's keeping us from doing the important things. And I was like, the important things that none of the Republicans are going to vote for. Like the the COVID exactly. relief bill, they were like, "Yeah, we should be exactly. doing COVID," which again isn't a legal argument. You can't get up there and say, "Judge, you know this is you know we should be doing other stuff other than my client." Oh, yeah. you have other trials? Yeah, exactly. Uh, jurors, I just don't. I just don't want to leave this to history. You know, it's like when the founding fathers found like uh, created the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. They were always iffy on slavery, and it took a war to to end slavery. And I, we can't just like let that happen again, where it's like it's just going to be pushed down the generations until finally something. 
I mean, maybe it already has. Maybe the terrible something has already happened, but I don't know. Well, it can happen again. Um, you know, on that point, actually, I do want to get to just another quick subject because now Trump has been acquitted. So he, you know, is free to run again. Is in 2024, are we going to see his candidacy? And he's, do you guys think he's going to win the nomination? Is this a man we're going to have to try to defeat all over again? Like Sauron or um, Palpatine? He is the most popular Republican in the party right now, as far as I can tell. So it does seem like we might be <laughs> staring down the barrel of another Trump run. Um, so I want to say this because there's been statements or or at least reports coming out where the Republican Party like leadership is basically saying they don't want to acquit Trump, but they want to go down a process where they forget about Trump and move away from him. But I don't think those two things can be true. I think, you know, that this, this, yeah. this, his party, like Marjorie Taylor Greene said something very disturbing, but I think the Senate Republicans proved her right, where she said that this, the Republican Party, is his party, and his being Donald Trump, it belongs to nobody else. That's a terrible thing to say, right? That a party just belongs to one person. But with this vote, I think the Republican Party just said yes to that. The the yeah, the distancing that was that was McConnell's speech. That was his speech. He was like, We we you know, we want to embrace these lunatics, but also distance ourselves from the, the worst part of these lunatics that are gonna alienate the normies was basically his speech. And um yeah, we'll see if that it's a bold strategy. We'll see if it works out for them in the long run. It does not seem workable, and they and I do think they want to run away from the Trump presidency, but hey, guess what? They also wanted to run away from the Trump candidacy the first time. I don't know if you remember 2015. It's a long time ago at this point, but they pulled out all the stops to stop, to, to stop Donald Trump, and oh, they yeah. failed miserably. <laughs> so I remember a, a, cer a certain Ted Cruz telling us to vote our conscience, you know, like, look at him now. What a conscience he has. So all these rumors about like, yeah, this is the post- Trump party and and you know I listened to the Wall Street Wall Street Journal editorial page podcast and they're like we got to move on from Trump it's over I don't know why we're dwelling on this is literally what they're saying you know a month out from the Trump presidency they're like we got to move on why are we talking about Trump so much uh, and the disaster that he's they're really trying to make it like like it doesn't exist anymore and we can't let that happen if we let that happen Trump's going to be president again and this time. We might not, it might not end with, with just, um, you know, even, even if it was like a right, it might not end the same way. It might end worse for us. Well, why would it? He's just basically proven he could do it and get away with it. So why would he? Yeah, exactly. Why would he not? And I think, I think, Ted, I believe it was Representative Ted Lieu that, that made a good point where he said, I'm not necessarily afraid of Donald Trump uh, running again and winning. I'm afraid of him running and losing because he's going to do this again. Yeah. And I think that's true. And not just him, you know, I, I wouldn't put this past, you know, Holly or Tom Cotton or some of the other uh, more extreme Republicans. Um, this is a radicalized Republican Party now. It's, it's time we admit this. It's not 
it's not just a fringe of the Republican Party that's radicalized. The vast majority of the Republican Party is radicalized. I don't think there's really that much of an argument against it. And that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Uh, I think that's it, guys. I think let's go ahead and close the show uh, on that. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you, Gus. Sam, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, you know, I I do just want to say there was one statement. This is probably the only time I'm going to actually praise um, a Republican statement here. But it is that uh, statement that uh, Cassidy, uh, Senator Cassidy made that you were referring to, Daniel. He said, our Constitution and our country is more important than any one person. I voted to convict President Trump because he is guilty. <laughs> because he is guilty. You know, that, that's a very simple answer to what I think is a very simple debate. And that debate is, what did Donald Trump do? And what he did is that he uh, got a mob together. He incited that mob. He instructed them to go to Capitol Hill and to fight. And they did. And when they did, he did very little to stop them. And yet he is, was acquitted and he's free to run again. You know, we, we talk about our institutions like they're magic. We talk about the Constitution like it's magic. But these things only work. These mechanisms only work if the people are there to uphold them. Right now, there's a major party in the United States that willfully is unable to see not only right from wrong, but also the truth from lies. Uh, the obvious facts from like the most absurd conspiracy theories. And it's not just their leadership, it's also a lot of those voters. So what happens when a country is poisoned that way? I don't really know. Uh, what I do know is that from November, when Joe Biden won to now, I think there's two things that are true. I think we dodged a hell of a bullet but I think the gun is still loaded and it's aiming right at us. Anyways, that's our show. Thank you all for joining me. Uh, thanks to our listeners. We'll see you next week for another episode of Friendly Reminder.